Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bring, bring it back. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us to the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm uh, Steve McGookin, uh, Spurs fan, uh, coming to you from Belfast, and I'm the former chairman of the New York Spurs Supporters Club. Hi, I'm Ali. Uh, I'm the Liverpool representative for this evening. Um, you can find me at Man in the Post on Twitter and, and uh, posting the podcast over there. Awesome. Well, thanks so much to you two for coming on, especially Ali, who it's your first time, not to diminish Steve's return appearance by any stretch. Uh, I figure we should start off with what is inarguably the biggest news of this week. And when I say inarguably, I mean it quite literally. It broke the record on both Twitter and Instagram for the most liked sports post ever, beating out Messi to PSG from like two weeks ago. Um, But that is Ronaldo's pending return to Manchester United. They've obviously announced it, but they still have to finalize the actual deal. And it sounds like he won't be there till after the international break. But what kind of impact do you think his presence will have on the team? I think it's great that we have a Liverpool fan on to talk about this story uh, <laughs> in its first appearance. So, uh, Kevin, as as you know, my my dad is a Man United fan, and and you know most people from Northern Ireland support either Man U or or Liverpool, and uh, and he's of the Munich generation. So, uh, you know, like it or not, I have to live live vicariously through what he thinks of his team. Uh, which which these days is rarely good. And, uh, I mean, he likes individual players, but he thinks the team has, you know, lost its way since Fergie left. Um, but to me, and I think to my dad as well, this was a business transfer rather than a footballing one. It, it has echoes of the Glazers doing something to placate the fans after the, the Super League debacle and, and also trying to take some of the heat off Solskjaer. Uh, I think Phil McNulty put it very well in a column for the BBC today when he said that this this is going to be a double-edged sword for United because it can't help but raise the expectations of their fans. But at the same time, Ollie isn't Fergie and the relationship between Ronaldo and his manager just, you know, won't be the same. But when you look at what they've done over the close season, the Glazers, you know, they've spent 73 million on on Sancho, um, potentially 40-odd million for Varane and now... You know, goodness knows how much for Ronaldo and his uh, his remarkable personal terms. Uh, and so, as McNulty says, there, there's really no excuses for Solskjaer now, and there's there's huge pressure on him to deliver. But then he's always been under pressure, I suppose, in that job. And now there there are, I think there, and we would be interesting to talk about it. There may be crucial years uh, managerially uh, looming for for United City and Liverpool. I'll, I'll let Ali talk to the expectations surrounding Klopp uh, going into the season. But it, it seems to me like the, of the top four managers, Tuchel has the sort of strongest following wind at the moment. And, and for them, signing Lukaku was ideal for, for what he's trying to do with the team. But, uh, you know, on Ronaldo, if, I, if I'm honest, I really expected Messi to go to City um, rather than PSG as they get more desperate to win the Champions League and, and and also with Ronaldo possibly going to Old Trafford, they could continue the marketing side of that of that <laughs> rivalry. Um, but as for what he'll bring to, to this United team other than you know a new generation of shirt sales, I think that that really remains to be seen. Does he rotate? What does it mean for Cavani or Martial or even more critically for United and their future? development what does it mean for homegrown players like Greenwood who I, I think is actually an, a, a genuinely exceptional talent uh, or or for Rashford I mean does it make United does this make United any more serious title contenders than they were last week probably not if we're honest and uh, we might come on to talk about it but obviously our elephant in the room this week is the <clears throat> the transfer that didn't happen uh, I think Kane mm. would have 
Kane would have changed City's expectation of winning the title more than I think Ronaldo changes United's. Uh, but I think in all reality, I think that the top four is probably set again. City, United, Liverpool, Chelsea. Uh, with just just the order to play itself out as the season unfolds, but obviously, you know, as we've said, it's it's far too early to draw any firm conclusions about how that'll look at the end of the season. Yeah, I, I don't know how to answer this without being ridiculously biased. Um, <laughs> as a as a football fan, like, for me, Ronaldo's been like a, an absolute generational talent. I've loved watching him through it all, but that's not the Ronaldo we're getting anymore. For for me, anyway, the last few years, especially the Juventus time, he just, you know, he's not the same man. He's more of that that poacher type now, as Steve said, what happens with Cavani, Rashford, Greenwood, you know, the not Cavani's young, but the other two are obviously young coming through. The, I just think, as Steve mentioned as well, the pressure that puts on United to to really win the title, or challenge at least. They were second last year. Um, they bought, as all the players Steve mentioned, and Sancho, Varane, they surely have to be like the fans have to be expecting, you know, title or at least challenging City, who I think are favourites, to go very close. Um, and the wages that he's reportedly on can't be good for squad harmony, surely. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like there are a lot of underpaid players at United to begin with. So yeah, the fact that he's going <laughs> to come in above the rest of them is is a bit wild. And also while we're talking about this, I think it is worth noting that while people are making jokes about Manchester United spending less than Arsenal, that wages exist. So maybe that's that's a little bit wide of the mark when it comes to the, the bottom line there financially. Um, Interesting though, Kev, I mean, I was talking to a United friend of mine who's a United fan earlier today, and he was saying, you know, one of the things that, you know, bringing Ronaldo in will be uh, good to mentor the young players. But, you know, at the same time, half a million quid a week to, to buy a mentor. And and as Ali says, it's not the player they're they're getting. They're not getting the player that, you know, was at the peak of his of his power. So I, I think it, it's an experiment. It, it's probably done um, for reasons other than just how it's going to play out on the pitch. And we're going to have to just wait and see how it, how it, uh, how it plays out. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And both of you mentioned that this is going to cause some weird stuff in the first team, even if he is there to to kind of mentor and be there in the big moments. I think Manchester United could do a much better job using Ronaldo than Tottenham used Bale last year, where I think if mm-hmm. he had played five or six more matches, you know, we're, we're talking about Tottenham potentially being in the Champions League rather than the Conference League, which is a... <laughs> Slight difference, even though they are both the UCL. Um, but I'm just curious how you think it impacts the 11. Do you think it would be Ronaldo on the left and Sancho on the right, although he didn't exactly cover himself in glory today? Who goes up through the middle? I, I know, Ali, you mentioned him being a poacher. Would you want him to play up front? I, I, I think they have a huge mess up there, or will it just rotate all year? Yeah, I, I, don't, think, uh, I don't think he will... Uh want to just play in one set position. I think he'll want to have the the liberty to move around the pitch as much as he thinks he has. Uh, I think it will come down to, when you're talking about the 11, the starting 11, it will come down to him or Cavani. I think that seems to be, uh, depending on the opposition and depending on how they set up the rest of the team, it, it, that, that seems to be the, the in and out. Um, but, you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I, I do think he'll be the focal point of the attack where placing like the Sancho, Rasha back Greenwood um, around him to do basically all his running and all the link-up play. I, I do feel it'll be Cavani will come in just to almost give him a rest. I don't think he'll play every game, as you, as you mentioned, Steve, pick and choose. He'll be there for certainly all the big games. Um, but he's yeah, I, I, I think he'll be there. Almost the number nine, the way Benzema was um, at Real Madrid when he played. Well, uh, he'll be the he'll be the link up playing, and obviously the the penalty taker and free kick taker, as we've seen in every other season he plays. Yeah, yeah, and that's a that's a really good point for all of you FPL players out there. Is what's the impact going to be on Fernandez, who is known for his free kicks, corners, and, and penalties? Hey. Is, are the, any of those his responsibilities anymore? Yeah, that's an interesting point. All right, well, we'll leave the Ronaldo talk there and start talking about some of the Premier League sides thus far. We're almost at the international break, so the the first curtain fall of the season here approaching. Uh, Just curious from you guys, which teams have impressed you, surprised you, disappointed you uh, to date? 
Uh, well, as, as I was saying in the uh, previous uh, question, I think I think it's obviously far too early to set anything in stone for how you can generalize about how the rest of the season might go. But uh, I, I've been really impressed with West Ham and, and Michael Antonio in particular, uh, who've impressed me early doors. He looks sharper than he did even in, in last season when I thought he was really coming to uh, coming to fruition. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I like the way West Ham are playing. Brentford, the Brentford thing, Brentford going unbeaten so far, that hasn't really surprised me since you could tell from that opening game uh, at home to Arsenal just how much it meant to their fans to finally be in that situation. And, and you know, they're they're a real community club, and you can't underestimate that. And it, it actually reminded me a lot of when um, when Charlton first came up, and the momentum and the excitement and everything that was that was there behind every aspect of the club. And I do, I, I think bigger teams will um, will underestimate uh, Brentford at their peril this year, especially at uh, at their new at their new stadium. Um, poor old Norwich, I think, on the other hand, uh, really have their work cut out for them. I mean, they they. They just need to stop conceding, but I, I, it doesn't seem obvious to me how they're going to do that so far. But uh, as, I, as I was saying earlier, I think it, it's it's too early to to make any firm conclusions. But I think the the top four is probably going to be the usual suspects, and then uh, and then it'll be Leicester, West Ham, Everton, and hopefully us competing for the for the next few few spots behind that. But we'll we'll see how we go. I think it's uh, it's it's way too early also to write off uh, Arsenal or or Arteta. Uh, I think they'll they'll write the ship pretty soon, but obviously, you know, obviously, if they're is still in the bottom third by Christmas, then you know their their managerial options uh, start to narrow a little bit. So uh, so we'll just we'll just see how that how that unfolds. But I I I take I take no joy in Arsenal's discomfort. Oh, you're <laughs> such a liar! <laughs> Do you not? <laughs> Before I before I get to lay into Arsenal a little bit, but on on the teams at best, I can only echo basically what you said there, Steve. Obviously, the, the West Ham's for me, Brighton as well. Seem to at least have scored a bit more goals. Um, I feel they're, they're much better league wise, anyway, position wise. Um, obviously, you you guys obviously know more than me about about Spurs, but this is a bit of a surprise for for probably non Spurs fans to see them performing so well and getting the results that they've got, especially with all the you know the Harry Kane talk that we've had for the last month or so. Um, so it's yeah, they've impressed me. Uh, but apart from that, I think everybody. I, I agree. The top four will probably be the same four. If anyone's going to fall out, I, I feel Liverpool have got the the least squad depth. Um, I, and the only team I could really see breaking in would be would be yourselves. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's just talk Arsenal because this is this is fun. This is. This is the Arsenal I love to see. Um, they are just—they've had the same issues for maybe 18 years now, and, and they don't seem to address it. Yet they spend more than everybody nearly every season. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. Yeah, they spent the most this window, and and that's exactly what Dan mentioned last week when we talked about Arsenal. By the way, talk about scheduling issues. Last week we had a Manchester United fan and an Arsenal fan on. Seems <laughs> like this might have been the week to do that. But uh, his point was that they have invested more in Arteta and the, his playing squad than they have anyone basically since Wenger. So it might be a lot harder for them to just cut and run the way some people outside of the club and other fans might think it might be time to give up on Arteta. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I, I think, interestingly, the managerial dynamic of, well, every club really in the Premier League this year is is uh, more acute than I think it ever has been, certainly with the top four and, and the... Uh, the, the different considerations that are going on with with each of the managers there, but also if you look at the the difference between Chelsea between Abramovich basically uh, replacing Lampard with Tuchel, which was a clear upgrade and actually put them in in such a good position, and uh, and Arsenal replacing Wenger with um, uh, with Arteta or uh, not Wenger uh, uh, Emery mm. uh, with Arteta, you know. Uh, that didn't seem to give the sort of confidence that the fans really were looking for at that stage. They're uh, obviously um, enamored by the fact that it was a former star and, and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's it, interesting how the, how the clubs and the boards think about who's, regardless of, you know, the multi-million dollar um, 
player bills that they have and the, 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 the rosters that they have. Who's in charge of these guys? Who's actually trying to make them click on the field? And, uh, and for me, the, the, the star at the moment is, is Tuchel. Yeah, I think that was an excellent hire by them, unfortunately. And that's why a couple shows ago we talked about how they're probably the favorites unless City can manage to bring in a striker. And as we all mentioned earlier, not really sure if Ronaldo puts Manchester United in that category, although we could certainly all be proven wrong. The name I want to bring up, even though I'm supposed to just be hosting and not really <laughs> espousing my own opinions, is actually Wolves, who I think mm-hmm. have probably been the better side in all three of their matches thus far and currently mm. have zero points and zero goals to show for it. Um, mm. But I, I thought that they would struggle a lot under Bruno Lage, especially early on. But, I mean, <laughs> three consecutive 1-0 losses, all to clubs that, air quotes, you should be losing to in Leicester, Tottenham, and Manchester United. That is a very unfriendly start to the season, and I think they've acquitted themselves very well thus far. They just need to score the goals, and I'm not really sure Adama Traore will help them in that regard, um, but Jimenez <laughs> seems to be playing very well, even though he hasn't found his goal yet. Um, certainly plenty of complaints uh, from them today about, you know, the the Pogba foul and the build-up to the Greenwood goal, but I, I think regardless of that, I, I think they've played very well, and we'll just see, and, you know, people are already making the expected goals jokes about Wolves just being uh, last year's Brighton, because they've won the XG battle in all three of their matches thus far as well, so I've been impressed by them, even though in the table, <laughs> they're currently in the relegation zone. But uh, I expect that'll probably normalize as the season goes on. Uh, and we mentioned that we're heading into the international break, so we probably need to talk about this as well. The Premier League clubs all agreeing on not releasing their players for World Cup qualifiers to red-listed countries. Um, already a very high-profile breaking of that rule with Tottenham's two Argentinian players and Aston Villa's two Argentinian players all flying together down there. Uh, for the for their World Cup qualifiers, FIFA asked the Premier League to reverse their decision to allow the players to go, and they said no. But this happened anyway. Just curious, what you guys think about this kind of whole bureaucratic mess that we've made around the situation? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really interesting dilemma because <clears throat> when you're dealing with a public health issue that spreads across different locations, it's really hard to generalize a position, but. I, I think a suspension is probably the right thing uh, as long as it's done across the board and the impact on all the clubs is spread fairly. And I think you you made the good point about, you know, what, what's going to happen with, with our players. Um, and, and I thought the Premier League, Premier League statement where they highlighted player welfare, player welfare and fitness and the impact on that um, – was actually a good statement, and it it, uh, it it set up set up a good bar for for negotiation past that. And as you say, you know we're uh, we're losing Lochelso and and Romero for um, for the games against Palace and Chelsea. I think in the in the ten day uh, quarantine period, which uh, you know that, that definitely puts us in a in a difficult position. Was there any movement on uh, um, Davinson Sanchez? Because that was the other one. Wasn't still, it that we still no word? Although uh, me and a couple of guys at Denver Spurs today were talking about how his career probably hinges on him staying with Romero gone. Um, yes, that yes. if he's able to continue to play through the Palace and Chelsea matches, which are the matches that our two players would miss, that he might really cement himself in there ahead of Romero, despite the money we paid for him. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I didn't actually think of that, but yeah, uh, but yes, it's a it's a, a difficult it's a difficult situation all told. But I remember back when uh, you know COVID was originally ramping up a year a year ago, and we had an issue around uh, the international break and the number of cases that arose uh, out of international friendlies at the time, and that that then clearly prompted the the football authorities to be more pragmatic about uh setting priorities and and hopefully hopefully they can they can do that um they can do that again because the situation changes literally on a week to week basis no absolutely that's it still seems strange that we can delay these international i know the dates are all set but surely as you say it's a we're still in the middle of this global pandemic. Um, I think for Liverpool, the the biggest talking point for players going away is still the the clarity over what's happening with the Brazilian fellas, uh, Firmino, uh, Fabinho, and Allison, obviously. Because if we lose them, obviously, especially Fabinho and Allison, that'll be a bit like yourselves, you know, two two key members of the squad. And as I as I mentioned earlier, our depth isn't the the greatest. I really don't want to see Adrian back in back in goal at any point soon. Um, it's just yeah, it's just a strange one. It just 
I, I honestly wish there was just no international football ever. <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my thoughts on it. But I, I feel during this, unless we can get players back, you know, right away. So it is, as I think you said it yourself, Steve, an, an even playing field for for all involved. Um, I, I think it's just going to be a could end up a very messy situation with a lot of a lot of complaining and. Manager's been very unhappy. I mean, Klopp especially isn't one to shy away from arguing with the media over certain things, and I feel this might be one where they'll they'll come to heads. Yeah, I do think it's a it's one of those situations where the people in charge of the game need to make a decision because players want to play. It's it's obviously a very different situation, but quite similar in the result of concussion substitutions being needed. Because the players want to play. They want to play for their country. They want to play on in matches, even if they might have head trauma. You need somebody above them just saying blanket no or blanket yes. Not not saying it needs to go one way or the other. Although I think you've made an excellent point there, Steve, about what happened the last time we sent everybody away. Although I feel like the Euros went pretty well. Um, yes. Just off the top of my head. I don't really remember any big breakouts coming from that. Obviously, post-vaccination post, uh, window. But yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, Steve, you mentioned potential suspensions or, or punishments. No, not, not a punishment per se, but I meant the suspension uh, that if the Premier League oh, follows suspending through, the suspend the uh, suspend the permission um, hmm. almost for. Uh, but as you say, that's already been that's already been upended. So um, yeah, no, it, it. And then the other thing is, if the if the Premier League does actually issue a ruling like that, I mean, what do they do for for clubs that just ignore it? Yeah. Well, one of the reasons why I was I was curious <laughs> asking you about potential punishments is if you gave players a two to three match suspension, that's how long they're probably going to have to quarantine anyway. So right. I'm not really sure if that's a punishment or just kind of enforcing a thing that they already have to do. So it'll be interesting right. to see how the Premier League clubs respond to this because it was supposed to be a unanimous decision. Tottenham okay. knew as early as this morning, way before the match, that Gio and Romero were both going to leave. They still managed to leave. They didn't like shackle them in the training ground or anything like that. So I'm not really sure what the response will be from the clubs or from the Premier League. Um, obviously, FIFA very excited, but I, I don't really begrudge the players. They want to play for their countries, but uh, I think somebody above there needed to to kind of make a blanket decision, which it seemed like happened, but not very heavily enforced. Um, yeah. All right, we will take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, and we are back, Steve. We'll start off with you talking about Tottenham. I will try to interrupt you less than some of the past instances where I've talked to you about Tottenham. But uh, as you mentioned at the top of the show, what was supposed to be the big news of the week was that Harry Kane was staying at Tottenham. It ended up falling off very quickly because Sky had nothing left to talk about. But um, (laughs) I was just curious your thoughts on the whole saga and how it ended and if the fact that it's Kane that broke the news himself at least a full week before the window closed was a nice touch. Right. Yeah, no, that that's right. That that's uh, fair. Although there was that story in the Athletic that that said that uh, Partici had told him on August the 9th that he wasn't going to be sold. So there was that gap between uh, that date and when he actually went public with it. Look, you know, Kev, the, the Harry situation, the whole Harry situation, it's it's like water under the bridge now. Uh, although obviously, if our start to the season had been different. Uh, we'd still be talking about it. Would still be a serious point of contention, uh, and that could certainly have gone all gone wrong on on the opening day if the city result had gone differently. But um, 
But respectfully, I mean, everybody says there's no winners out of all of this. I, I, I think, you know, Levy probably came out of it better than than he was expecting, and and the the city result on the opening day uh, certainly helped that. Uh, respectfully, I think City blew it by uh, just in my in my opinion, just by buying Grealish first, um, probably because they they then guessed wrongly that Harry would leave for whatever they decided to pay after that. But obviously, Grealish had a release clause, and once you set the bar at a hundred million for for Grealish, inevitably. Every other transfer after that becomes relative to Grealish, so there was that sort of discussion about uh, the valuation of Harry and why City weren't prepared to uh, to, uh, to meet it. Uh, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I, th- I think Grealish is a terrific player, but but City didn't make him or uh, City didn't make Harry their main priority in this window, and I think that is what um, that is what the where the the problem turned. Um, I mean, Grealish, they bought him for a, a position for which they already had plenty of competition. Uh, and if you sort of said to, as I think I said in the previous answer, uh, I think Ronaldo will be less of a uh, an upgrade or less of an impact in terms of making United title contenders than Kane would have been at City. Uh, and I think if if Kane had got his way and, and gone to City in the end, City would, would probably have... Uh, have become uh, title favorites after that, but um, there are so many there are so many things that went wrong about the whole episode, and hopefully everybody learned something from it. I certainly hope Harry learned from it, um, and uh, and we'll just see you know who's representing him the next time he uh, he comes to negotiate his contract. I mean, <laughs> another thing, you know, we. Um, Another thing that we we've talked about in the past. I mean, do, do you think an element of this was that Harry limited himself by wanting to stay in England? I mean, did the did the the, the ego thing around breaking Shearer's record uh, did that limit his potential moves, or or was it just a moot a moot point with, you know, as you keep saying, a lot of the European clubs are hurting financially at the moment, so that wasn't really a practical move anyway. Yeah, I feel like it's probably both. As as we all know, Levy's intention was always to sell him abroad, as it was for Modric, as it was for Bale, obviously yeah. his two biggest previous um, sales from Tottenham. But yeah, I think Levy wanted to sell him abroad, but nobody there had the money. I think Kane would prefer to stay in England. Um, and so it, it kind of doesn't matter which one was more right. important because both of them would have led to the exact same result. But uh, I've mentioned this before. I think what's really interesting is what will happen next summer because... Mm-hmm. Next year, they're going to have Mbappe on the market because it sounds like his Real Madrid move isn't happening with him playing today uh, for Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, it sounds like Holland will be on the market next year. Alexander Isak will be on the market next year. Sounds like Dusan Vlahovic is staying at Fiorentina this year, so he'll be on the market next year. All of a sudden, you'll have a lot of players that are really expensive at this forward position instead of only Harry Kane being the the, the premier striker on the market. So uh, actually, I'd be really curious to, to bring you in on this, Ali, if you don't mind. It, it reminds me of the Jared Chelsea moment where it, it was like a very brief possibility. And as soon as it passed, it never happened again. I'm wondering what either of you honestly think about. Is that what happened to Kane? That like he was the striker on the market. One of the richest clubs in the Premier League were the ones that wanted him, but it still didn't happen. So is it more likely to happen in his age 29 season going on to his age 30? No, I think I think you have both hit both really valid points there. I think there's nobody in Europe who could afford what Kane would want wages now that he's obviously established as, as one of the best number nines in the world and what Daniel Levy and Spurs wanted transfer-wise. Man City was really the only option. Possible PSG if Mbappe had made the transfer to Real Madrid and created a little domino effect as such. But that was that was always going to be not Spurs' issue because they want to keep him regardless, but that was always going to be the issue for, for this was was just the finances involved. Um, as, as you mentioned, the Gerrard one, I feel now this will be Kane at Spurs for for life now. I just, I think you mentioned all the forwards available next summer. I think Kane, just due to age-wise, is going to be below all those. I mean, Mbappe and Haaland are also young, are basically the future of, of attacking football. Um I can never pronounce the boy at Fiorentina. Vajovic um, is yeah. is looking exciting as well. So I, I just feel Kane's chance of going anywhere else, if if that's really what he wanted or 
or how, I mean, no, no one knows truly. I mean, he is, seems to be a Spurs boy in general, but I feel this was the summer if he was going to go. I think Steve mentioned it, like if City got him, um, they were almost guaranteed the title. And I feel Ronaldo would have been a better signing for City than he was for Man United as well, because mm. he could do that hurricane role. Obviously not as mobile as Hurricane, but he can do the goal side, certainly, and, and that's what City are crying out for. Yeah, Steve, what do you think? Do you think Kane's just kind of stuck long-term, or do you think we'll see more offers for him next year? Uh, I think yeah. my my opinion on it is Levy took a really big gamble that yeah. the difference in the valuation between Kane this year and next year is less than the amount that we would get if Harry managed to fire us into the Champions League, which I'm not sure is particularly likely, as you mentioned earlier. I think the big four are just the big four this year, but what do you think we'll see next summer? Well, I, I think we will go through this again next summer in some form, but uh, I think also another factor is literally the transfer took too long. And if you think back to how Levy was burned by Fergie over uh, Dimitar Berbatov, and we weren't he did the deal too late, and we weren't able to bring anybody in at the right price to replace him, uh, and and that you know damaged us for the for the uh, for the season basically, and I think that wasn't gonna it, it certainly wasn't gonna go down to the final day. I don't think as a lot of people seem to think it it, it was simply because we didn't have a replacement option in uh, in place. So yeah, there, there, I think there's there, as Ali was saying, there's a lot of moving pieces. Uh, involved in this but I do think unfortunately we will go through this again at the end of next season in some form or other uh, which uh, the, the negotiations or the the, the talks between <clears throat> Paratici and Kane that um, may or may not have, have come out in that athletic article uh, we'll only find out about it I think at the end of the season Do yeah. you gentlemen think not think he'll sign a new contract in the next couple of months? If or he, do you think if he does, there'll be a, a release clause almost no. added to it, like the like the Grealish one? Yeah, I think if he if he was, there'll definitely there'll definitely be a release clause in it. But whether the whether the number, as Kevin says, bears any relation to the market at the end of next season, uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I think the interesting there is that Daniel Levy has never included a buyout clause in anyone's contract except for Toby Alderweireld, and he had to because it was a tie over from part of Atletico Madrid's deal. That's right. That's um, right. So Levy just doesn't do them. Uh, there are reports that Harry Kane wants somewhere between three hundred and four hundred k a year, and this is maybe uh, a week. A week, Kevin. A week. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, <laughs> that would be very nice. <laughs> That would be, that'd be, that'd be a bargain. Yeah, it really would. Um, and I think for maybe the first good move of this entire saga is Harry Kane saying, if I'm worth 150 million pounds a year, making him, what, the third most expensive player of all time, why am I still on 200 or 250? I think that's, right. a, that's a fair point. If you think I'm one of the best players ever, pay me like it. I think that is an absolutely yeah. fair point on his part. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's asking for like, 300 in a release clause and Tottenham were like we can do 350 without the release clause and everything just be settled but uh, I, I I think Kane might try to test the waters one more time and I think it benefits Tottenham to leave him on his current wages as is so I think Kane's going to try to take one more swing I also don't think it'll work and then I think he'll be stuck long term but obviously a long time to go in that regard um, we'll leave Kane there uh, but Steve I wanted your initial thoughts on Nuno Espirito Santo uh, I think Ali yeah. mentioned earlier that that opposing fans might look like us like we would have had a bad start to the season we got our 12th choice manager we didn't have our main striker but three wins three one nils three clean sheets top of the table and 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 still a lot more improvement to come I mean I, I watched the game today Kevin and certainly you know we're we're tighter at the back, uh, which I think has been a revelation for for a lot of Spurs fans so far this season. We're still a little bit disjointed going for, forward, but I get I get what Nuno was trying to do with us, and I get also why he was so interested in bringing uh, Adama Traore to the team. But uh, you know the the problem with the Traore thing was you know who do you drop? Who do you drop to to put Traore in the starting eleven? Do you drop Mura? Do you drop Bergwijn? You certainly don't drop Son. Um, so there, there are a whole different uh, range of matchups that uh, that I think Nuno, uh, what, what I like about him so far is that he seems very pragmatic about it. And especially when he's been addressing things like the, 
the the Ndombele, uh situation where he said, you know, it's not my it's not my job to convince players to play for Tottenham. It's my job to prepare them to play for Tottenham. And I think that that just basically mm-hmm. sums up exactly what uh, what you want in a coach. Uh, you know, I, it's like any new coach. You you give them until Christmas, and then you reassess basically where where everything stands. Uh, but he could hardly like like Levy. The opening day could not have gone better for him. Uh, and I think the 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 performances in the two games so far, and and I'll I'll give him the uh, the, Euro- the European game against uh, Pakosh because you know he he pulled together a team. He wanted to get a look at some of the younger players, and he pulled together a team that uh, you know at the end of the day we were still in the competition, coming back to the for the second leg. So. Uh, I'll give him a lot of credit for uh, for trying to get that blend right, and I think it's it's not quite there yet, but uh, but I think it'll come. Yeah, and it is worth noting that he's come out and said after the match today that we are not yet playing the style he'd like to see us play. So uh, people mm-hmm. worried that it's just going to be one nils to the end of the season. You don't have to be too worried. Although thirty eight <coughs> consecutive clean sheets would be a cool <laughs> feather yeah, I- in the cap of uh, Tottenham Hotspur this season. Right, right. <laughs> All right, well, we will leave Tottenham there and move over to Liverpool and talk to Ali some about that. Um, obviously, the 1-1 draw, you might have taken it before the match, especially if you're of the mind that, that Chelsea might be title favorites this year as we are here on the show. But I was just curious, with the penalty and everything that happened, are you pleased with that result or are you disappointed you weren't able to find a second? Yeah, I'm I disappointed completely. Um, if you'd offered me the point before the game, I'd have been disappointed as well. I wouldn't have took it. I, I'm not one. Chelsea are very good defensively. Um, they're set up very stubborn to beat, as we've seen, especially when the player was, was sent off. I don't believe Lukaku is the answer to them winning the title. I just don't see them. I, for me, City or Liverpool win the league. If Liverpool can keep 11 players fit all season, <laughs> that's a big, big ask, obviously. <laughs> um, I, I do believe Liverpool can win the league, but apart from that, I still think City are. I, I do believe City are like streets ahead of Chelsea in general, as in they, they're, they're going to beat teams. Have we seen it? The Norwich. I know it was only Norwich. Was it five nil? Um, yeah. That's what we'll see from City. I think Chelsea will kind of almost plunder along. Um, but no, I, I was just disappointed, especially when the the ten men thing happened. It was again, you'll you'll hear me moan quite a lot during this segment about the the depth and squad and the the lack of options that we had available. And then we'll not even mention Klopp's um, starting eleven choice yesterday. But it was um, yeah, very frustrating. And as I say, I would have been disappointed with a point before the game as well. I just and I'm not as up there as everybody else seemingly um, having Chelsea as favourites. It's absolutely fair and, and uh, impressed that you wanted the win. Well, not impressed, but uh, yeah, expecting the win going into that match is definitely a, a show of confidence for your side and maybe a question mark there towards Chelsea. Um, you mentioned the lack of transfers. We'll just jump to there next. Obviously, a lot of Liverpool fans complaining, FSG out, all that, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'm just curious what you make of the fact that you aren't actively pursuing many people in the transfer window. And if you see any parallels between uh, the Pochettino era towards the end there, where Levy didn't make any signings for three consecutive windows. Do you know what? I never even thought of the, the Pochettino era just the way it went. But, um, yeah, I mean, we've only really, in the last four seasons, four summer transfer windows, we've only made four how would you say it? Four important signings or four actual signings that that mean anything, you know, not youths and not planning for the future. So it's a it's a real big concern that we're going to be looking in at this rate in five seasons' time. Say when, you know, I think Salah's Salah twenty nine now. I think the front three are all like twenty eight, twenty nine, and obviously Thiago Van Dijk, um, Fabinho might be slightly younger. Like we're going to need to sign almost a full team. It's going to be like when 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 you boys sold Bale and and signed twenty five players <laughs> to replace them. I feel we're going to have to sign like a whole first eleven. Yeah. Like I, I'm not FSG out as such. I'm not like one of those like start called Raven loonies. I just feel we need investment from 2018. Was it 18 the Champions League final we lost to Real Madrid? Uh, 18 or 19. Um, we we've pretty much got the same squad still, like given you know three or four players since then, and we've won a league since then. We've won another Champions League in that time. 
and I just feel like I'm watching teams around. We, we mentioned Arsenal earlier on. They're spending money left, right and centre. Albeit I don't want to spend money the way they do. Um, United are obviously going out. City obviously just spend money whenever they feel like they see a new player in the, in the newspaper and like, oh yeah, let's just buy him. <laughs> Chelsea have done it. Last year, obviously, when they backed Lampard, they went a bit kind of football manager style, just signing the best players who were available. Tuchel's obviously came in and stabilised it, actually got some identity about it. So I, I don't want to spend money erratically. It's not like I want to go and spend £300 million in a summer just to get players in. But we're, there's clear, obvious issues in our squad. Yesterday, we went down, to, as I say, Chelsea went down to 10 men and we, we kind of looked lost of attacking options. It's if Mo Salah doesn't turn up, which obviously very rare that he doesn't, but if he doesn't turn up, I, I just don't see where we're winning games, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think some of those issues might be compounded as well, because I've seen some of my Liverpool supporting friends starting to be concerned about the form of Sadio Mane. If Firmino is yeah. going to be streaky and or hurt now, if Mane is kind of taking a dip, where do the goals come from? But I was just wondering, are, are you genuinely concerned about Mane, or do you think this is just an extended lack of form? Um, I think if we hadn't been in the COVID era, which we'll call it, I think we we would have took, well, we should have definitely took whatever offer we got. Because I think we probably could have got, what, 50 to 80 million perhaps, you know, um, from like a, like a Real Madrid or even a, without obviously all the signings Paris Saint-Germain made. But those type of clubs would have looked at Manny, especially after the, the season before that you'd had. And I think we would have cashed in. I, I do think it's too long now. He just looks, he almost looks short of confidence altogether. You know, when a player just, it's like its like those films where the basketball player, it's like Space Jam. He's been Space Jam. He's um, somebody's <laughs> took all his talent. It's just, it's, it's hard to explain how, it's like the way Bobby Firmino had went. I mean, he was always streaky in goals anyway, but he went then last season where he just, couldn't couldn't buy a goal at all, and it wasn't until I think the last five games where he he turned up and remembered he's a footballer. Manny seems to have forgotten like everything. Like he just it's it's really hard to put my finger on it because he was so electric. But I don't understand how you can go from elite to like most of the fan base being really frustrated and and want a a replacement. And it's it's maybe down to not having he doesn't have to worry about his place because there's no one else. He knows Origi's not going to come in and take his place. Oxley Chamberlain, James Milner, you know, none of these players are really going to trouble him. So I, I do wonder if that's got a major part to play in that. That's a good point, actually. Yeah. Yeah, that is really interesting. And then uh, one last individual player I wanted to touch on was Virgil van Dijk, obviously laid up with a horrible injury for the majority of last year and then obviously led to the Euros, which didn't particularly help the Dutch cause, although they do weirdly have a decent amount of centre-backs right now. Um, but I was just curious what you've made of his return thus far. Do you feel like he's back back yet or still kind of like warming up to that one of the world's best that he clearly was before the injury? Yeah, he's, he's still not Virgil van Dijk. You know, he's not the... I think we'll be a couple of months perhaps before we see the the fluid but we've seen him yesterday Lukaku I don't know about how you guys thought about Lukaku yesterday yeah yesterday he he looked by average um, he almost looked like the Man United Lukaku yeah and it's easy to slag Lukaku for that but I put it down to how good a performance uh, Van Dijk put in you know he, he didn't he didn't seem too bored physically by him um, Van Dijk still seemed to have the pace that he had before so I think it's more just fine tuning you know his his body, not not fitness wise, because obviously that'll take a while to get back to proper match fitness, but also just the the reading of the game, the spatial awareness, just sharpening all those all those little tools he had. I, I, without being biased, um, too biased anyway, I still believe he's the best centre back in the league, even just oh. now on these performances. Uh, and give it say a month, six weeks, I, I assume he'll be going away with the national team and back playing again. So every game just now can obviously only be helping. I was surprised he started all three games. I don't know if you guys were the same, but I wasn't expecting him to start, especially the first game. Um, but I think he's come in and like just almost almost strolled it a little bit. I mean, I know we had Burnley and Norwich the first couple of games, but he came up against you know a £90 million forward in Lukaku, and we all believed after last year he was going to be... Well, you guys have said it. That signing almost made Chelsea favourites for you guys. 
coming to I don't know. I mean, especially mm. you, Kev, for obviously the Dutch side. I mean, what's your thoughts on what's your thoughts on Van Dijk being back, and are you confident that we, we will see the the best centre back in the world again? I think that's a very very hard title to reach, especially unanimously, <laughs> which it seemed like he was he was getting to, except for the people that think because Ramos scores headers that he's a good defender. Um, but. Uh, I don't know if he'll be exactly the player he was before, although he has shown glimpses of of that just like crazy athleticism. Because I, I think that's one of the reasons why he was considered the best in the world is that, you know, a lot of times you'll get a center back that either has the athleticism, but maybe doesn't read the game as well, or a center back that can read the game incredibly well, but doesn't have the athleticism to make up either for his own mistakes or those of others. I think what was so incredible about Van Dyke is there are very few that read the game better and also very few that are more athletically gifted. So he has both. Um, and I think that's what allowed him to get to that point. I think long-term we'll see. I also think with with injuries like that, they can crop back up. Like if it has yeah. turned him injury prone, that will prevent him from being all the way back. But I agree with you. I, I think I think he did very well uh, against Lukaku, who just had himself a match the week before, although turns out Arsenal might just be terrible. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm hopeful. I think as long as we get... Uh, we collectively as the football world, not specifically the Netherlands, but as long as Van Dyke gets back to like 85% of where he is, he's still easily top five in the Premier League. So I, I think oh, he- that's all I'm hoping for. And especially after huge injuries like that, just the fact that he's back and playing and at a, at a, what seems to already be a very good level, I think is really encouraging and promising. I, I, I totally agree with all of that. And I think even an 85% fit uh, Van Dyke is the best central defender yeah. in the Premiership. Yeah, and I mean that's more of a indicament of of what centre backs are in the Premier League, to be fair, rather than mm. than eighty five percent Van Dyke. But for someone who I've watched, obviously been up in Scotland uh, when he was at Celtic, I, I've always said like players always get talked about in Scotland about coming down to England and could they do it? Mm. For me, Van Dyke hasn't really improved as much as people seem to talk about. You know, he was the same player up here. He's just now shown it against higher opposition and he, he just seems to make the game look effortless and as we he, I mean he was out for what nine nine months mm. without playing a game and, and then coming back to fitness and he's just marked like Lukaku out of the game and, and he genuinely made made it look effortless yesterday, you know. And I wonder if as you mentioned athleticism, Kev, but I wonder if you'll maybe adjust his game a little bit so you'll still be athletic and he'll still show signs of that. But he'll, he'll maybe just be a bit more, mat- almost mature in his performances, where he'll just do, you know how we started seeing him make, he got a bit cocky, really, before his injury. You know, mm. he started making silly mistakes, remember, because he was trying to, like, bring the ball down from 20 foot in the air and try to, like, control the ball while free. Maybe this just might just mature him again and make him almost extend his career a little bit, becoming that, you know, like a Carvalho type, you know, the way he was just... Uh, Found his, found his position, seen what was ahead of him, uh, and obviously we've signed Kanati now as well. So it'd be interesting to see just a, a little combination of the two of them combined. Yeah, I'm not going to throw out all kinds of like all-timer names at him uh, this early, <laughs> but but I do agree. I mean, making a, a decided choice like that of maybe not always having to overdo it on his body would extend his career if he was able to to kind of shift his mindset. And I do think we saw that from Jan Vertonghen in the Champions League year pre-concussion um, mm-hmm. that he started, you know, moving less but reading more. Um, yeah. And it was going really well. And then he got concussed and then he got a knee injury and yeah. now he's at Benfica, I think. But, That's um, a comparison, actually. That's a good comparison. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just because, you know, they, <laughs> they're both from Benelux countries, I promise. Um, <laughs> all right. We'll go from there into player watch, although it feels like we are already kind of doing that a little bit. But uh, I just wanted to touch on uh, how each of our clubs are looking here with the end of the transfer window looming. Are there any positions that you're still expecting <laughs> your clubs to fill or any players in particular that you're expecting to see uh, by Wednesday? Well, I, I, it would always be nice, I think, for us to have another central defender. I mean, I, I really like what I've seen of Romero so far, but uh, I worry that he's going to miss some games through suspensions uh, through the season. Uh, I think he's has he been booked in every game he's played in so far? Um, I think so, although the one against uh, Paco's midweek was very questionable. Yeah, yes, it was. You're, you're absolutely right. But... Um, but also, I think I think it's way too early. Just talking about the central defence, the, the signs are that Sanchez and Dyer might actually be working together. 
better than they ever have, or certainly better than they did last season. Uh, but I, I think it would still be be good to have a have another backup. Um, I mean, Tommy Yasu, uh, I don't know if you know anything more uh, recent than, than I do, but apparently he still remains a possibility before the end of the window. But uh, like everything else, until you see them holding the shirt up, uh, we'll not get carried away with it. Um, I suppose elsewhere in the defence, we seem to be linked with every right back in Europe at the moment. But I think that's more to try and facilitate Aurier leaving. Uh, I mean, I... I don't know about you, but I've been really impressed with Tanganga so far and how he has stepped up. So I'm very upbeat that he can become the the regular first choice on that on that side. And uh, and it looks like Nuno likes him, so that's that's definitely a positive. But as we've talked about before, Kev, I mean, I, our 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 single biggest problem is we've never adequately replaced Ericsson. But I'm actually more optimistic this season that um, we'll see, you know, the best of Lachelso and when it, when he gets back from quarantine, and uh, and already you can you can see that Nuno is starting to get more out of Delhi, and and that's started already if you look at his work rate in the first few games. So I think from a creative standpoint, we might actually be okay this season, especially with Harry staying and his ability to drop back into that 10 spot and set up, you know, runs for Son, Bergwijn and, and Mora. So I think we're, we're, we're actually not hurting as much in the, in the Ericsson spot as we used to. But again, you know, if, if Harry had left, um, we, we'd have needed to address more than, more than just that. So, uh, so I think what we're left with is the the biggest unknown uh, is is really what's what's happening with Ndombele, and uh, and it probably won't be until after he leaves that we will figure out exactly how we how we got our record signing so wrong. Well, and it's a, a real shame since you know all of us we'd all we'd all seen flashes of of his potential and what what he could have done. So. Uh, it it just seems like an odd an odd situation there that that there was something not right in the process of signing him uh, or you know how it, how it manifested itself when he actually you know started to play for us so we'll see yeah I, I think uh, from the sounds of it Ndombele was a Poch not not wasn't just purchased for Poch but Poch demanded that he be signed because he thought he'd be perfect in the midfield there to to replace the Bele obviously very different players. Hasn't yeah. quite worked out that way. I don't think anybody can stump up the money by then. So I think the the hope is just that come Tuesday at midnight, <laughs> he starts to be reintegrated into the squad, and hopefully he's just kind of stuck with us in the Kane way. Although he's already shown he's much less, uh, hmm, outwardly professional. How about that? Um, <laughs> Reed Tamiyasu, I think that's a really good. Uh, idea to sign I agree with you on Tanganga and it was interesting seeing him get forward more this week because we were told this whole time that even though we're playing four at the back that we're kind of playing with a back three with Tanganga staying back and Regulon being the only wing back that gets forward it became clear today that that's only the case when there's a threat on Tanganga's side there wasn't as much today so he was able to get forward more because I think the idea of Tamiyasu was to play him as a defensive right back the same way we were using Tanganga as a defensive right back that way you have two options in one position so that you don't have to change tactics if Tanganga misses, which he historically has done. Um, so I still think that one will get done. But I think they might have to ship Aurier or Dougherty before they can do that happen. And it doesn't really sound like people are interested in either of them. So I'm a little worried. But the, obviously the huge benefit of Tomiyasu is exactly like Tanganga. Can play on the right or can play as a center back. Yeah. And that kind of flexibility yeah. is super valuable around 18-ish million pounds, which it sounds like is the price. So I personally hope that that one gets done but i think you've nailed it um i think the other big question is backup striker is there going to be one or is it sunny and if it's sunny when is he going to get a rest because <laughs> yeah. i don't know if he can do it you know 50 plus matches again but yeah. we'll see how all that goes or is it just dane scarlet and we're just going to ride dane scarlet in the european conference league and just see what happens but i think uh, that's. I think, I, I think we get to christmas and we recall troy parrot from his loan <laughs> Troy Parrott and Dane Scarlett up top. I'm, I'm here yeah. for it. Um, all right, Ali, we'll move to you to talk a little bit about Liverpool. We've already said bit of a slow window. Are, are there any, you know, anything on the burner or is it just going to be another quiet one for you? Yeah, I think I think we're done. I think we'll, we'll, we're in net spend profit. Um, I think everybody's happy, uh, apart from the fans. Um, we, definitely, we definitely need, uh, we need arguably a forward um, a certain midfielder we've not replaced Wijnaldum we need 
mean, I say back up right back for Trent just to rest him, but you know we could make do there with, with squad options. But centre midfield, especially maybe a more creative one like you got, uh, Steve. You mentioned like not replacing Ericsson, and we've not replaced arguably Gerard. Um, Gerard obviously Coutinho did it slightly, but we, you seen yesterday in the in the Chelsea game with that low block, we we do struggle. Uh, to break teams down. Naby's quite good at it. Um, but Klopp obviously just doesn't trust him because as soon as he got his own players back, he was relegated to the bench and not even brought on. So I, I don't see anybody coming in. We're tr- supposedly trying to offload Origi still. Um, I think that might be the only one going out at the moment. Uh, but I don't even think he's going to go. He's going to be sitting pretty on his new contract and sitting at home watching us on Sky TV um, and Quite right, just for that one goal against you boys in the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if you need a backup forward, I mean, he's proven to do it on the big occasion. Can, can we tempt you? Yeah, very good. Actually, you know, the weird thing was we were linked at one stage with Danny Ings, and I thought that would have that would have been a great option for us. Yep. Um, but it yep. didn't, didn't happen, and, and I think he's, uh, he's going to do a good job for uh, Rabilla. Yeah, on on my podcast, we we spoke about that just at the end of last season that he would be the perfect either replacement for Kane, with he's obviously signing yeah. someone else as well, or or that backup squad option. He he really is just he's just a wonderful number nine, and he's he's just a wonderful human being as well. I do I do have a lot of a lot of time for Dan Ings, and yeah, yeah. I, I think he'll do really well at Villa. Yeah. I, I hope I hope he stays healthy. I really do. Yep. Agreed. And regarding uh, Origi, <laughs> people that have followed and or listened to the show for a really long time know that I made a joke during what must have been the 2014 World Cup. I think he scored a goal at the World Cup and I was like, the Tottenham links start tomorrow. And then it literally happened at three different sites. Then obviously you signed him. So uh, there was institutional interest in him <laughs> seven years ago. So, you know, maybe we'll maybe we'll see that happen. Uh, but uh, we'll leave the show there. Obviously, no match preview since we're hitting the international break. But if you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Thanks thanks very much for having me on again, Kev. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Steve McGookin. And always a uh, reminder, if, if you're a Spurs fan and you live in or you're visiting New York, uh, you can watch the games at uh, Flannery's on 14th Street and check out the website at nyspurs.com. Um, before I go, Kevin Ali, I hope you'll indulge me just for a second. Um, we've talked a lot about transfers this week, and I'd, I'd like, if I can, to cast our minds forward five years to when the top European clubs are scrambling to sign a 24-year-old midfielder called Zaki Anwari, who's become one of the hottest properties in world football. Or at least he might have been had the Afghan Youth International not fallen from an American plane in a desperate attempt to escape from Kabul last week. A reminder that uh, much as we all love football, there are some things in life that are actually more important. Yeah, no, very well said. Um, but you, thank you again, Kev, for, for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, hopefully I can repay the favour to, to both of you by coming on, coming on my show at some point. Um, I've been Ali, obviously your your Liverpool representative. You can find me at Man in the Post on on Twitter. Um, we're a, a a football channel. I host a weekend review show, almost carbon copy of, of Kev's, where we we just cover the whole review of the Premier League games um, on a on a Sunday evening, which will be with you on a Monday. And I also host the Eleven Pieces of Me, where guests get to come on and and create their Favourite 11 players, all, all must be retired. So some weird and wonderful names come up. So, yeah, come on over, check us out. And if you like it, yeah, please interact with us. And, yeah, once again, thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Definitely a good show. And we'll we'll retweet your episode this week just so uh, people can kind of connect the dots between you coming on and, and your show as well. Uh, also, just while we're bringing up serious things, I wanted to mention at the top but then failed to when bringing up Cristiano Ronaldo all of the allegations and stories surrounding him off the field. This is not really the format or place to have that kind of conversation, but read into it if you want to, to, to fully understand the the social side of, of that signing as well. But we will leave things there. Thanks so much to you two for coming on, Steve. Obviously a pleasure having you back on, Ali, an absolute pleasure having you on the first time. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.